What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the made-to-move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon what's up everybody this is eve with the healthy charleston podcast today we've got our favorite special guest host dane gifford he's doing a uh, exclusive interview with dr harrow and Nicole Fava. They're both uh, specialists in the orthopedic world. He's a physician and she's a PA. They both work for Southeastern Spine Institute. I think this was a great podcast. A bunch of uh, fun nuggets in here. Uh, a little bit of entertainment too. Love um, when Dane comes around and gets to help us out with the podcast. So enjoy. Uh, welcome, Charleston, uh, back to the Healthy Charleston podcast. Uh, Dane Gifford here, and I'm sitting down today with um, Dr. Haro and Nicole Fava, uh, physician's assistant with, um, I guess, the Southeastern Orthopedics Institute. So, um, kind of a, a, a group with the Southeastern Spine Institute here in town. So, welcome both of you for uh, being here, Great, joining thanks. us. Thanks for Appreciate us. that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so let's just jump in real quick. I'll yep. give both of you the opportunity to kind of talk. And, and I know that you're coming in here, moving down from uh, Asheville. You've been here a little bit wh- a while. Um, I think you were here even previous before Correct, Asheville. Yeah. So maybe just give us a, a brief overview. We'll kind of dive into a lot of this other stuff yeah. as we go. But um, who you are, where you're coming from. and uh, Yeah. From uh, so Dr. Mark Harrow, I'm an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine and arthroscopy. Uh, I don't know how much we'll get into it, but kind of a long and varied background. Kind of started in sports medicine back in high school, which led me into athletic training, which then led me into physical therapy. And I <laughs> worked as a physical therapist for a while, which then led me into orthopedic surgery. Um, and then I joined the faculty at the Medical University of South Carolina, um, where I was on faculty for you know, several years before getting uh, recruited up to Asheville to take over a big sports medicine division. Um, and eventually decided we we like living back down here a little bit better. So just recently, uh, last summer, we moved back down to join the Southeastern Spine Institute as we start to develop an orthopedic uh, institute as well. That's awesome. Well, welcome back to Charleston. Yeah, thank you. Like I said, I've back, yeah. back a while. But, uh, and then, Nicole, what about, what about your past? <laughs> um, my path is a little bit similar from a sports medicine standpoint. Uh, I was an athletic trainer for multiple years. Um, spending most of my time at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill with our women's soccer program. And through that and my experiences with interacting with our team of physicians, I decided that I wanted to be able to kind of help at a higher level from a medical standpoint. So I went back to PA school and specifically with the goal to come back in orthopedics and sports medicine and 
luckily met up with Dr. Haro in Asheville and, and started with him there and have transported down to Charleston with him. Awesome. Now, was that your first, I guess, uh, as a PA, that was kind of the first spot you ended up? It was, yep. It was a, a great opportunity for me. Right. So, I mean, Asheville, let's talk about Asheville yep. for a minute because we don't get to talk about that very <laughs> often. Um, has it changed a lot since you were there compared to now? Like, what's like, what's well, what's new and what's happening there? Yeah, I mean, so Asheville's, I mean, it's a great city. I mean, we used to, when we lived down here, we used to visit up there and we were, hey, this would be great. We could kind of reverse this. We can live up there and visit down there. So we made the move up to the mountains. It's certainly, certainly colder than down here by the beach, but again, great town, great city. Uh, definitely some changes are going on in the healthcare industry up there. The, the hospital recently got bought out by, uh, HCA, a large healthcare corporation. So I definitely think there's some medical changes going up in the uh, the, the Asheville area that uh, are interesting. Um, for the better, for the worse. Uh, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Uh, I I probably think for the worse. I think uh, I don't know if the the deal to a from a non for profit hospital to a for profit hospital has been overly good for the region. I think there's more and more stuff coming out in the papers and potential inquiries into how. Uh, the finances from the sale are, are being used to actually better the public. And uh, so you, you could see this coming a little bit while we were up there, which kind of helped precipitate our move back down here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one thing. It's, yeah. it's always going to evolve, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, even MUSC is expanding like, in yeah. their reach and everything else. Sure. So um, definitely no uh, shortage of change happening within the medical world. Correct. Um, so what, uh, I, you know, talk about maybe your transition into being a PA, like what, um, how has that been for you? Like everything that you'd hoped when you signed up or, you know, how does that look for you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a phenomenal transition. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed what I was doing as an athletic trainer. Um, felt like I was working at one of the highest levels in terms of not only with the sports medicine team that I was working there, but with the athletes and being able to watch them kind of transition even further on into national team and other things but for me it got to the point where I felt like I wanted to be able to do more and the only way for me to be able to enjoy being in the operating room and watching and different things was to be able to go back to school so I went back to PA school with that goal in mind of, of a higher level of healthcare. Mm -hmm. and obviously my transition um, for me has been phenomenal and, and very kind of seamless in some aspects um, going back into the world of sports medicine and orthopedics and Dr. Harl's been a phenomenal mentor for me as I've started to transition that gap so yeah I think we have a pretty good team in place right absolutely yeah. um, always interesting both of you came from the athletic training right. world at least a start I don't yeah. know did you end up becoming a licensed yeah. athletic yeah trainer? so again I, I left California I grew up in California in the Bay Area and I kind of got hooked on the sports medicine bug back then. The high school I went to was fortunate, and again, this is a long time ago before it's more commonplace, but we actually had an athletic training or sports medicine program mm -hmm. in the high school, and you know, I started taking that probably my junior year, and you know, before that, I was planning on going off to school to play baseball and be a history professor someplace, <laughs> and just got, got bitten by the sports medicine bug, and so I left California to go to Purdue and Indiana for athletic training, and so, you know, spent all undergrad there and actually, you know, graduated, became an athletic trainer, worked as an assistant at a small uh, Division three school there before going off to physical therapy school. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely worked in the, the athletic training world. For me, that's kind of home. Um, you know, going back, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of the athletic trainers back at Purdue. Those are kind of my friends. It's right. kind of, you know, helped shape who I am, um, that hard work, that, you know, dedication, you know, kind of long hours, you kind of get kind of get used to it in that um so it, it's 
know, people always ask like, oh, did you not like athletic training or physical therapy? No, I loved it. I just wanted to do more. I just wanted to operate. I wanted to be able to kind of work at, you know, sports medicine and injuries kind of from both sides, not just the non-operative, but also the surgical standpoint yeah. as well. So I think that, and I think that works very well. And Nicole had a very similar background. So I think that kind of made the transition easier and you know I, I know where she's coming from she knows where I'm coming from and you know I think it just really helps kind of make a, a good team so we can kind of you know help people kind of the highest level from both angles yeah yeah no I think it's imperative I mean I know that whenever we're looking at you know the physical therapy that we do and, and whether we're working with general population or the athletic population um, if we're looking at students that want yeah. to come in and be part of what we're doing or you know, those that are even applying as applicants to try to be like, like understanding the athletic world and the strength right. and conditioning world is so important to everything that we do. And yeah, so absolutely. Um, it's, it's awesome to see you guys doing that from, you know, your side right. through athletic training and then on to um, ultimately where you are is uh, with the orthopedics. But so athletic training, uh, you get asked all the time if you liked it or not. Yep. Um, I think everybody really loves it. However, it's a very difficult way to make a living. And yeah. so what are some things about that industry? Do you guys even know? Like, is it even still a thing in your head? Or, you know, you mentioned having friends. A lot of people yeah. don't make it that long, right. you know? Nicole probably has, a, I mean, she was in it for over 10 years. Yeah. So I think she probably has a little bit more connections to that and still has connections with that. Um, for me, it it wasn't, I, I, I was in the athletic training world for, you know, a short period of time. I always had the intentions of going on to physical therapy school after that, but, you know, my original goal was to go back and take over Purdue as the head athletic trainer before yeah. I kind of got bit by the surgery bug. <laughs> um, so I kind of transitioned out of it fairly quickly. I worked in like a, you know, outpatient orthopedic sports medicine environment for a few years after physical therapy school, mm -hmm. but I didn't stay like in the high school college scene. You know, Nicole was involved in that for years, yeah. so... She probably has a better idea of the struggles yeah. of living the, as an athlete. Good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on who you talk to and, and what aspect and perspective they have on mm -hmm. on the profession and, and where it's going. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's extremely beneficial when you look at athletic trainers and putting them in high school situations and high school settings, especially from an injury standpoint, having someone on a sideline that understands that, whether it's a concussion or a significant injury, to have it to be able to be managed. Um you know, obviously, I, I can't say that I worked at the high school realm. I spent my entire career at the college level. Um, but I do. I have a lot of friends that are that are still there that have some students that I worked with that have transitioned into physical therapy school or, or taken other paths in athletic training, whether that's more of a physician extender type role or gone back to PA school. Um, and then others that are there that have been there their entire career and love it. And I don't think that I fault anybody for any change in what they've yeah. done. It's just kind of what what career path you're going on and, and I, there are definitely aspects that I miss um, but I think it's shaped me into where I am and it's pushed me to be a better clinician and right. why I did what I did. What do you miss? Um, there's just kind of the day-to-day -day camaraderie you know especially being in the collegiate setting as athletes come in as eight, you know 18 year olds right. kind of straight out of, out of you know, high school and, and watch helping them grow and watching them grow into adults and having having those relationships. Yeah. Um, we, you get that with your patients as well. I think Dr. Harwin and I try to get to know our patients and they definitely follow up or you know see us out and about. But that's probably one of the biggest things that, that I miss is the, the long-term relationships right. that you develop. No, that that was actually, sense. I mean, so when I was going back to like undergrad and you know, right towards the end of undergrad is kind of when I first started thinking about going to medical school. And that was actually the thing that made me pause the most about not going to medical school and 
it kind of pushed me on to just go on with physical therapy, which is the current plan, or was the plan back then, was I didn't want to lose that team, that team feeling, the camaraderie. I, you know, I loved that feeling. I loved working as part of like a multidisciplinary team to kind of get people performing at the highest level possible, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's sports nutrition, sports psychology. I like being part of that team. And so I really had to pause and think about that. And I, I kind of did that while I was in physical therapy school. And luckily I had enough mentors that, you know, I could hang out with and, you know, see that it's still possible to have that team mm-hmm. approach just from a different angle. So right. I think that's kind of what I've tried to develop in our practice is, you know, that team uh, approach to, you know, working with our physical therapy friends, either in the community or in our office, the athletic trainers around, you know, again, hiring you know, Nicole, who's an athletic trainer and physical therapist who's used to that team environment, has been, been super important to me and us. And I think that's how we, you know, kind of keep it fun, too. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's super important. I mean, there's, there's one aspect I wanted to continue talking about, yeah. the athletic training. But I think that, um, like you mentioned, the, the follow-on and, and, and taking a patient or a client and, and you know, having that uh, longer duration plan of care and kind of that understanding and and then also looking at things differently than I think a lot of maybe surgeons out there yeah. or, or wherever we are uh, that don't have a background in athletic training or strength and conditioning yeah. look at things, I think, completely different regardless of what the research and or, right. you know, the education points out. I think there's a lot that that gets missed by those that aren't spending a lot yeah. of time in that in that field. Yeah, when I was working as a physical therapist, I'd see so many things that would get sent over to me, and I was like, "Well, why did we op- why did they operate on this? We could have treated this with physical therapy. I mean, this to get yeah. this predictably gets better without surgery." And then there'd be other people that come by that you know, I'm like, "Why this isn't going to get better without surgery?" I mean, this this person probably needs to see a surgeon. So I, I felt like being on the other side of that, I could probably best make change or I could best help patients from both standpoints. And we do a lot of non-operative care. I right. mean, we, you know, Nicole probably gets mad at me because I probably talk more people out of surgery <laughs> than into surgery sometimes because we try and do what's most predictable but also fits the patient's interest as well. So right. um, surgery is not always the answer. Sometimes it is, but not always. Absolutely. So. It needs to be there. Right. That's definitely right. the case. Like, I mean, is there are there examples? I guess maybe not examples. Every patient and everything is different. Sure. But are there things that have happened, say, in the last several years um, within your practice or within the way you kind of both do practice um, that you can um, attribute to to maybe less surgeries or things that we were doing in the past yeah. previously to where now it's kind of like we've changed things a little bit and we've yeah, made adaptations. Definitely. I would say probably the biggest thing is probably grabbing the most headlines nowadays. And I think there's even been some New York Times articles on like you know meniscus tears, like yeah. whether or not we should be doing partial meniscectomies or removing portion of the meniscus that's torn. And there's been several big studies showing that. We may or may not be making people better. Now, there's some definitely some flaws within the studies, and you can't make blanket statements. I think there's right. a New York Times article saying, you know, meniscus surgery is a sham type procedure, which I don't think is true. I, I think you just need to be very cautious and judicious about how you're using it. And a lot of times, you know, if you look at people and, and some of these studies, and there's a, a famous New England Journal of Medicine study that showed, you know, you take a large group of patients who have meniscus tears and a little bit of arthritis, and you operate on part of them and don't operate on the other ones and do just physical therapy in the end about you know all of them end up the same at a year mm-hmm. so whether or not the surgery is helping or is it physical therapy um right. so there's a lot of people that are doing just fine or just as well with out surgery than with surgery 
what kind of gets lost in the shuffle is about 30% of the people that were in the non-surgical group jumped over into the surgical group. So there's a certain percentage of patients that it just doesn't work for. Yeah. Um, so I think it's on the table, but you know, most people who come in with a degenerative meniscus tear and some mild arthritis, I almost always try and talk them out of surgery at first just to see how they do because you can't undo surgery. Um, you know, I usually tell them we're just wasting time. You know, give me a chance. Give me, give me six weeks to see if I can get you better without surgery. If it doesn't, we've just killed six weeks, but we can still operate. But I would say 70, 80% of the time people come back and we don't end up operating on them because yeah, they, huge. they feel okay. And I think that saves the healthcare industry, you know, a significant amount of money that we're not doing from a surgical standpoint. But again, if we're not making patients better, we probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And even typically with surgery, you're yeah. going to have some type of uh, follow on with therapy or whatever right. the case is. So at the end of the day. And the question, so what, yeah, what's really making them better? Is yeah. it a, uh, is it the surgery or is that they were forcing them into therapy after surgery? Right. Now, again, there's certain cases that are clearly not that were like 100%. a meniscus tear flipped <laughs> over or it's a locked meniscus or you know it's a younger person with a meniscus tear that we probably should repair um to try and prevent problems down the road and we're not really talking about that population but the 40 to 60 year old yeah. with a little arthritis and a meniscus tear hard part is you mri you know everybody over the age of 40 or 50 like half of them are going to have meniscus tears right. and some most sort. of them, yeah, yeah they won't even have symptoms from exactly. it so you know what are we really operating on yeah. and you know if it ain't broken don't fix it so right I mean, that's what we spend a lot of our yeah. time discussing is more the pain science aspect right. of things. And, you know, I don't want to, I'm not the smartest one when it comes to that. Dr. Nate here, uh, you know, he, he's definitely, I think, the, the most knowledgeable of the four of us within Made to Move to, to have that discussion. Sure. But everything I've learned up to this point is that there are the physical aspects there are then your emotional and like, you know, who you are as a person and what your expectations are. Right. And then you've got the other portion, which is the pain science. Like right. what is truly going on? Because right. the meniscus itself may or may not be providing any of that pain right. signal. There's right? no nerves in it, right. right? There's no pain fibers in it. So it usually it's the swelling or if there's, again, a fragment that's flipped over and caught and acting as a mechanical, you know, stimulus or block that you know, won't go away, um, then sometimes we have to do something about mm -hmm. that. But if it's, you know, just a, a little bit of swelling or a little bit of irritation, I would, I would be very cautious about just jumping into surgery about that without trying something yeah. non-surgical at first. And many times it's the arthritis that they already have that's causing the symptoms and the meniscus is just an innocent bystander. Um, and a knee arthroscopy is really not going to change a whole lot from a, from an arthritis standpoint. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the, to that point, too, when we look at the population that are having these things, a lot of them are not being as active as maybe they right. should be. And then that kind of leads again into that same stance of now I'm not only in pain, but I'm also not very active, right. which together creates just more pain potentially. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that's very true of all situations meniscus you yeah. know spinal surgery right. you know like those types of things there's always going to be a case to make those surgeries and right. then there's always going to be the the other cases yeah i mean and uh, like i tell people my goal is just to keep people moving keep yeah. you active keep you healthy keep you doing the things that you enjoy and if i don't have to operate on you to get you to that goal fantastic and right. sometimes we fail and sometimes we have to operate on you and uh, it is what it is um but uh you know i'd rather do no harm first and if i can yeah. get you better without surgery by all means let's do it absolutely and back to the uh, athletic training yeah. portion of all of that i see so many athletic trainers out there that are way overworked 
they have way too many kids under them. Like there's, you know, too, too many uh, athletes on top. They don't have the time that they need to, you know, focus in depth on the, the clients that they have or the, the, the athletes that they have. And, you know, again, um, that they're basically providing physical therapy more or less within what they're asking of the, the, the students or the athletes. And it makes such a huge impact. And if they're not able to do that to the best of their ability, then it, you know, it's, it makes it tough on the doctors and the athletes to, to get where they need to go. Um, so both of you kind of, you came from athletic training, you were physical therapy at one point yeah. is what should we know? Like as the physical therapy world, now that you are both sitting on the side of like say surgeons and, and, and doctors, what, what do we need to be aware of? You know enough about physical therapy in yeah. the time that you spent there. What has changed in your, uh, approach and what you think physical therapy either is doing really well or that we're missing the, you yeah. know, mark on I, I think you know and maybe i'm a little bit biased from where i trained i trained in st louis with shirley sarman who was big mm -hmm. in from an exercise and movement science uh, as opposed to just pure modalities i think what we're finding more and more is that exercise and movement is really the key and you know whether or not these are movement faults or you know muscle imbalances or things that we're doing to ourselves or activities we're repetitively doing over and over that are causing our problems i think you know ultrasound and stem and those type of modalities a lot of times feel good and can be used as an adjunct but i think really we need to correct the faults that we're doing or the activities that we're doing mm -hmm. um essentially to ourselves so i think you know I, I definitely think there is a swing in that direction in the physical therapy world i think a lot of practices uh do a great job of that um so i i would keep pushing in that direction i think you know keeping people moving and keeping them strong and keeping motion is the greatest you know thing we can do for people um and from my standpoint, the, the most important thing, like when I'm talking there, you know, finding physical therapists and recommending them is just communication with the, mm -hmm. the surgeon or the physician who's working with them. I, you know, I, I still, and that's one reason why I brought up that team approach. I think patients like it when there's a team taking care of them. You know, I think it's better for the patients. You can bounce ideas back and forth off each other, which I think is, you know, the most ideal situation to get a patient better or get someone back to the sports that they're doing what's dangerous what's not dangerous yeah. you know you repaired something how hard can i push this how how hard should i not push this so i think communication is huge and uh yeah, that's usually who i'm directing my patients to is those physical therapists who kind of work part of that team as much as possible right right so. do you find i think that's great yeah. i mean i i don't i can't disagree at all so i i mean do you find um are there places out there and obviously I'm not looking for names but like ones that you find that are doing something wrong and if so what is it that's going wrong I mean if I had to throw it out there to me it would be the use of you know some of the the modalities that, that people are using yeah. out there like that passive stuff um, we don't necessarily do and I don't necessarily think I'm more of the exercise base and strength yeah. base but um, maybe if you have any other thoughts on who's doing it wrong and why not who, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> here to call anybody out. I mean, I think from my standpoint, it's just, yeah, there's certain places that you send in when people come back. So I send, I see someone for a meniscus tear since we we're talking about that. And, you know, if I don't know the therapist, um, and sometimes patients, you know, patients can go over where they want to, and I tell them that's perfectly fine. And, you know, I really try in my prescriptions, like say, it's almost like a really exercise base. It's okay if you do modalities to make people feel better, to get them moving. But the end goal is to get people moving. Mm -hmm. And we I 
come when patients come back, I'm like, what have you been doing? And if I hear all they're doing is ice, ultrasound, you know, non like passive modalities, like you mentioned, uh, it probably turns me off a little bit because yeah. I, I don't think they're they're doing the right thing for the patient. Um, I would say it's probably decreasing the amount of times that I'm seeing that or hearing that's probably yeah. decreasing. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. Um, or if people just Go down one pathway and just don't, if it's not working, you know, yeah. reach out, talk to us, talk to the patient right. and make sure that you can be ad- adaptive to the patient instead of just one cookie cutter mold for everything. Yeah. Um, How common is it for the, the PAs and the orthos to, to, to feel that way? I mean, I know that there are definitely ones that, that I mean, obviously you're on the podcast for a reason, and yeah. but... I, I don't I can't say that all of them is probably fifty fifty right at about yeah. now at least in my opinion and what I've seen that, that that the orthos and the PAs do understand that do you feel the same or is it less than that I don't I don't even yeah know. probably less I mean knowing from an orthopedic standpoint how much training and physical therapy um, that you get as a resident and even being part of an education program at a university and as fellows you don't really get a lot of training in physical therapy. You kind of learn it on the fly and it's really up to really the relationships between the therapist and the surgeons to kind of establish that. And, you know, very often, you know, it's, you write a physical therapy prescription, you hand it to the patient they go off and you hope that they get better and you hope they go to a therapist, you know, who understands the pathology and uh, is up to date on the literature and you never know. Um, So again, for me, I just, Having that background, having that bias, I'm, you know, Nicole will tell you the first thing I come out of a room is like, where are they going to therapy? Who are they seeing? And the first thing I do is I walk in there is what your therapist doing with you? Because it's mm-hmm. so critical to everything we do. Again, not just surgically, but non-surgically. Um, a lot of times when people come in, I went to therapy for six weeks, it didn't help. And then I have to ask them, well, what did you do? Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, well, you know, let's direct you to someone else maybe. And I would say... More often than not, you get them to the right physical therapist's hands that are doing the right exercises and the right movement with the right philosophy. They come back and they're significantly better. Now they no longer are resistant to physical therapy. Yeah. They actually like it and right. uh, definitely see a benefit from it. I think it also helps you all with making the decision then too. If they come back after yeah. that and you were satisfied with what was going on, then it makes it right. much easier to have the discussion about surgery. Right. Like, well, that, that whole like failed non-operative treatment, you know, what does that really mean? And for me, it means something different than maybe it does to other people um, because I really have certain certain criteria to know, like, yeah, you really, you did fail non-surgical treatment, not that you just went to a building and had physical therapy yeah. for six weeks. Um, we, we have to know that what we're doing is correct for you. We're, we're trying to correct those movement faults. And if we can't because of pain, swelling, you know, mechanical sensation, maybe surgery is not a bad alternative. Right. But uh, I think you definitely have to you know, be inquisitive about that and find therapists and surgeons that understand both of those aspects. Of yeah, it. absolutely. Nicole, what about PAs? I mean, same kind of thing as the orthos or is it, you know? Yeah, I, I think it falls along very similar lines in terms of what you get from a, an education standpoint while you're in school. Um, I will tell you some, from a PA standpoint, orthopedics gets taught as a core curriculum in the academic, but not everybody does a clinical rotation in orthopedics because mm-hmm. they're obviously it's a primary care based model. Um, so I think your PAs that have been in the field a long time or have a dual credential, uh, I have a lot of friends that are athletic trainers and physician assistants and I think we kind of get that and I think again when Dr. Haro was looking for someone to fill my role, 
that background and that understanding mm-hmm. is kind of what made him trend, you know, yeah. think about hiring me and then obviously form the, the team that we have. Right. I'm surprised at the physical therapy community, you know, that don't, you know, there's probably at least half, if not more, I'd probably even go on the uh, limb and say 75% of them do not have a deep enough understanding of strength and conditioning and what it is truly like to, to exercise correctly. And that really puts a hamper on what they're able to do. And it's not their fault. Um, I do think there's a portion of them, a large portion of them all go to undergrad as a, athletic training or like exercise science or something to that effect but it's almost like that's a requirement for the undergrad and then as soon as that goes out the window it's like okay I'm in PT school I will learn everything I need to know in PT school and then that's not the case because they're only learning the very basic minimum of what you know exercise science or strength and conditioning is. I can't say that I wasn't like that either you know I came out of a really strong athletic training program and I was kind of I can't say I wasn't a little cocky coming in. Like all, all of our faculty, like when I was an athletic trainer, they were all athletic trainers and physical therapists. I was like, I probably learned all this stuff already. Right. And then decided to go to St. Louis for physical therapy school and, you know, walked in the first day thinking I knew everything and <laughs> totally blew my mind. And, yeah. and, you know, so you know, I think maybe it's the nature of where people are going and the mentors and the instructors that you have and, right. you know, their philosophy and how they're thinking about things and, you know, that's another question I got time. Do you regret going to physical therapy school? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife may regret, regret it because of all the student loans from it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't regret it for a minute because I still use a lot of that yeah. stuff in the way I'm looking at patients on a daily basis. Right. And, you know, again, I came in cocky, but I, I totally learned so much from, like, the movement science and the, the uh, how to get people moving again from, yeah. in, during physical therapy school is uh, unbelievable. Right. And things are getting so much better. Right. I mean, even MUSC, you know, has us come in and, and teach, you know, deadlift and squats yeah. and, you know, like like really looking at it from a perspective of, okay, we don't know enough about strength and conditioning, right. which is so important um, in, in all of this. But, you know, it's not the PT's fault either, right. even if we're talking about those clinics that aren't doing the best. And, and I'm sure it's true of the orthos and PAs out sure. there is so busy limited time you know the patients are are in and out as quickly as possible and you know when you go to a PT clinic a lot of them don't even have the equipment that's needed so it's like it's again not the PT's fault it's the owner of the the corporation or whatever the case is they don't have the facilities they need and then you know they're not able to to progress those exercises the way that are needed and And it's just the changes in healthcare too I mean I remember when I was working as a physical therapist I remember like the eight dollar co-pays for physical therapy and fifteen dollar co-pays you had the opportunity to to really work and progress people you know, and it wasn't such a huge financial strain on people. And so it, it's definitely evolved over time where, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's cost prohibitive for people to go to physical therapy for prolonged periods of time. So they're very resistant to it. And, and that's yeah. usually what I, I try to tell patients, like, let me f- help you find a therapist who's good, who's not going to waste your time right. and waste your money. If you're going to pay money, I want you to get the most out of it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, and Nicole hears me say that on a daily basis, and you can you find that right therapist, and people really do well who actually mm-hmm. you know think about things and and get people moving. So yeah. um, it's definitely uh, difficult. Yeah. yeah, it's not as easy as we'd hope, but hopefully, as we all continue to move yeah. in that direction, then then we're we're gonna be okay. Yeah, and I think that leads us into the next question, sure. maybe, which is uh, you know it's a healthy Charleston podcast. So one of the things we like to highlight is 
you know, how are we and our guests contributing to the health and wellness and, and understanding of fitness for the Charleston community? So maybe the two of you can define, you know, what does fitness mean to you both or what is health, fitness or wellness? You know, if you had to pick one definition that you kind of live by, what do you think that is or what should people take away from that term? I know it gets real deep right there. <laughs> it's more or less just kind of yeah. you were saying, yeah. but yeah. I think just in general is being active, doing something that you're up moving every day and for the long-term health. You know, Dr. Haro, I think, says this all the time to our patients. Like, if, you, if you're not moving and all you're doing is sitting on the couch, you know, there are so many more medical comorbidities that come from that, whether it's you develop diabetes or high blood pressure. And, and we know that those obviously put a, a damper on our, our longevity on the lifetime. Um, and so if you can just stay active and moving, something simple and that activeness or fitness level is different for everybody mm -hmm. and we see it across the, the board whether it's i want to be able to walk my dog the two miles every day versus the ultra marathon runner that we see that's doing iron mans i mean i think right. that there's a, a wide variety of that but our goal is to keep you moving and active and happy in what you're doing so that you're healthy for your lifetime yeah, yeah that's great i think the things that we see people always come to us and you know they've had a meniscus that's been torn for example now they've developed arthritis and people come with us to us with a question like should I keep running should I keep doing these things am I hurting myself long term and I and I really sit down and talk with them about this and you know that's what Nicole's saying I you know if you don't keep moving you will gain weight you will get hypertension you will get diabetes you will get high, uh, coronary artery disease so I want to keep you moving and you know, we really don't know if like activity increases a risk of arthritis down the road especially if you've had an injury and some studies actually show it probably doesn't. So keep moving because mm -hmm. that's going to keep you physically healthy, mentally healthy, out interacting with other people. You know, for me, that's really what it means. It's really, you know, not only physically healthy, but, you know, doing the things that you enjoy that keep you mentally healthy and, you know, contributing to the Charleston or, you know, whatever environment that you're in. Right. Um, so that's really our goal. And that's really kind of the goal of my practice is looking at it from that angle. Yeah. I think that fitness, like you both just said, is so important in terms of the overall broad picture and just keeping whether it's, you know, the prehab leading before right. surgery and developing as much ability as you can beforehand, or maybe it's keeping you from having surgery. Maybe it's uh, the emotional side of things where being active now has reduced stress in your right. life, which then can maybe even affect the pain right. that you're like all of it combined you know, in terms of fitness. And I don't think there's a right way to get yeah. there either. Like you said, if it's just walking your dog twice a week, if that's where you're trying to get to, then yep. that's enough for now, you know? And I think you just need to really sit down and talk to people. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's probably one thing that's really hard in today's healthcare environment is, like you mentioned, we have to keep, you know, from a, a cost standpoint, you have to see so many people to keep the doors open. Um, but you really need to sit down and talk to people and learn what it is for them that keeps them going yeah. and keeps them active. And you know, whether it's walking the dog, whether it's playing tennis with their friends on the weekend because that's their social connection to the world, or whether it's climbing mountains or doing marathons. You know, it's it's all it, for everybody. It's a little bit different, and you know, you have neighbors that come by and have like bone on bone arthritis, but I just want to run that race, you know, once a year because that's you know what keeps me going. Yeah. And, you know, do I need a knee replacement to do that? Should I avoid doing that? No, just, you know, let's try and find ways to keep you doing right. those things. Yeah. And 
uh, I, I think that's what me that's what healthy means to me for sure no I think that's great you know and that's so huge is taking the goals into account because yeah. that changes you yeah. know like that, that can mean right. a surgery versus not having right. surgery or you very know, frequently um, and so that's huge so um, I'd had another question while you were saying that but yeah. I was uh, so involved that I forgot what it <laughs> was but um, so I think that oh yeah what like what kind of time frame you mentioned about the time spent with healthcare today um, what's an average for the two of you with patients? Now I understand that <laughs> surgery is different, but yeah. I mean, is there is there kind of like an average for when you see patients and, and what that looks like? Probably, <laughs> uh, I probably spend longer with most patients, and that's just be me by nature. Um, so all my patients who may be listening, sorry <laughs> if I'm behind. Um, especially the first visit, like, yeah. when you come in, I, I want to sit down and talk to you. I want to find out. It's usually. 30 to minutes, sometimes even an hour with yeah. new patients, especially with complicated problems and young patients or second and third opinions. We try and spend a lot of time to right. really see what the goals are. Um, I, I, I probably spend longer than most probably do to, for good or bad, but I think for the patients good, it, it definitely helps to sit there and tease out, sit down and listen to people yeah. um, and what bothers them because I, I don't treat an MRI. You know, the MRI... Like we said, 50% of people I have meniscus tears on, on an MRI. And I'm not, I can definitely make that MRI look better. Or I can cut that tear out. But if that doesn't get you to your goals, then what's mm-hmm. the point? Mm-hmm. So I, I usually have to sit down and figure out, is this keeping you from working? Is this keeping you from, again, your hobbies or what you enjoy? So sometimes it takes time to tease out of people. And sometimes people aren't used to it. So right. you know, they, 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 wanna, they want you to treat that MRI. And you're like, no, this isn't, this isn't going to help you. We need to help you. Right. And, and so it takes a little bit of time to tease out. But I would say we, we tend to take a little bit longer than maybe most with some people. So That's great. I mean, that's a, that's a decent time frame. <laughs> you know? so you find that about accurate, Nicole? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, and, and I think, too, patients get a... A combination too. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we, we function probably a little bit differently than a lot of MDPA combinations in clinic. Um, and you typically will see both of us. Sometimes it's me first and then Dr. Harrell. Sometimes it's us together. Um, but I think that also allows patients to sometimes think a little bit more through their story. If I spend 20 minutes with you initially and we walk, we work through things, I may ask some probing questions that when I walk out the door and he comes in behind me, the patient then goes, oh my gosh, Nicole said this, but I forgot to tell you this. And it just adds to the kind of the big yeah. total picture. Um, and I think having that conversation more than once, it, you know, in a time frame, you know, just gives us a better idea of what's happening and what their goals right. are to help treat the patient. Yeah. Well, I think it's important too. Everybody's got a different voice and a different understanding, you know, based off of their past. So the way you word things might really resonate with an individual, but the same thing could uh, happen to where you have an individual that kind of doesn't necessarily buy into everything you're saying. And then, of course, you walk in the door and you might say the exact same thing, but in a different words used and now all of a sudden it clicks and so yeah. I think that's important too just and I, and I think that's also where we come into our relationships with our physical therapist too so mm-hmm. and we get a lot of feedback before patients even come back in I Mr. Smith I heard you've not been go, you know yeah. you haven't been doing your exercise or here you're doing fantastic and you know you'll get you know as a physical therapist you get to spend typically more time or more repetitive time with people and you can sometimes hear some of the different frustrations or successes and I like that feedback. Right. And so when people come back in, we work together and, you know, 
a lot of times people are like, I'm 75, 80% better. I, yeah, you're not perfect, but if I can, if, can you do the things that you enjoy now? Fantastic. Right. Well, then we don't need to do anything more. And yeah. you call me when you need it, and we can always operate. I mean, again, right. it's always, it's easy to operate. Stay um, in the course. It might right. even get better. Right, know? exactly. You know, that's why I tell people I love to operate, It's, it's but it's only you know an hour or two out of my life. You're the one who has to live with the surgery forever mm-hmm. or for the rehab. So, you know, we, we want to be on the same page as we're going into this and making sure that yeah. we're that surgery is going to get you to your goal, whether it's, you know, shoulder, knee, whatever. Right. we got to keep you and focus on your goals. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I mean, we are fortunate enough to spend maybe up to like 75 minutes yeah. on the first visit with our clients. And then after that, it's typically 60 minutes yeah. per, per time. Right. And, but I mean, I think a lot of that time is, I mean, not everybody needs to work out for 60 minutes. So a lot of the time is spent through education right. and talking about why yeah. you don't need the MRI or why just because you got the MRI doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world or just because, you know, the surgeon told you you did not need surgery. This is why, you know, yeah. I know you feel like you still do, but um, that, it's, yeah. it's a deep discussion. That's another, I mean, that's another conversation I have with patients all the time. And Nicole can probably attest to this is. I usually tell people I don't need uh, unless people need someone there like yelling at them to do like to watch them do their exercises. Yeah. I need a therapist who's going to teach you, right. and they need to teach you what's wrong and teach you how to correct this and how to get yourself out of yeah. trouble. It, it, pretty much for a lot of these chronic movement type stuff, we always kind of tell this little story. It's you know everybody comes back at that like follow up visit like six, 80 percent better. And I tell them, okay, make sure you keep doing the exercises that you've been told. And, and I hope their therapists have taught them the exercise as well. But, you know, there's a good chunk of patients that we see back about six months later for the same problem. The first right. question I ask them is, how's your therapy going? And <laughs> how, how's your exercises? Well, I'm not going to therapy. Yeah, anymore. it felt good when I saw right. it last time. And, right, so yeah. what, what changed? Like, right. why'd you stop? And usually it's because people are feeling better and they stop. Yeah. And so then I, I kind of go back to them. I was like, well... What what did we do last time to get you out of trouble? And like, oh yeah, yeah. those exercises. Yeah. So sometimes patients need a refresher, and uh, they realize that kind of movement uh, and exercise and is probably the answer for them. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people have sedentary jobs; they sit in front of a desk, and you know, I don't think as humans we're necessarily designed to do that. And you do the same repetitive things over and over again, sitting down at a desk, and. A lot of times you got to reverse that, mm-hmm. and you know when people feel good, they go right back to doing what they were doing before, and you, know, you have to keep fighting that and yeah. then staying active. So right. um, we see that a lot with progression, right? Yeah. So you got the six weeks, and you feel eighty yeah. percent better. It's like, man, we we haven't. So I taught you how to do the exercise; you were doing them well. Now the next piece is teaching you how to progress. Yeah. And and even after you're done with me, there's still going to be a progression right. beyond that. You know, like six months after you stop seeing me or the ortho, like. If you've been doing the exercises, those exercises are no longer benefiting you. You know, like they're just keeping you where you are today, the status quo, and now we need to jump up from there. So um, very, very true. So what, um, maybe a little bit more fun and more personal type stuff, what what books are you both reading right now? You want to (laughs) go? I was like... That's perfectly I'm acceptable. Big, I'm a big audiobook person, so pretty much whenever I am driving around, whether it's back and forth to Asheville, whether it's around the neighborhood, I'm pretty much always listening to audiobooks um, as opposed to music. I kind of, 
I got into this back in college, back when it was on tape, and I was driving back and forth <laughs> to California to Indiana to school, and you had to fall asleep to music, so I started buying audiobooks, and I probably have a collection of like, you know, three or four hundred audiobooks at this point. Um, so I'm a big John Sanford. I don't know if you ever heard of John Sanford, the Lucas Davenport's a cop no. mystery series. Nice. So I'm, I'm on, I've already listened to, I'm, I'm essentially re-listening to the whole series, because there's probably 30 plus books right. in it, um, and I've listened to all of them. That was one of the first books I series I bought back, you know, when I was in college, and I decided recently just to start listening to them again. So there you go. That, that's currently what's in what's in the uh, playlist for uh, from a book standpoint. It's enough to keep you busy with this yeah. thirty plus books, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> what about um, latest binge watching? Uh, what was the latest thing that you binged on some type of streaming network? Well, Game of Thrones, but uh, I have to say I was pretty let down by oh, the end man. of it. Oh man, it's so sad. It's still such a great yeah, show. Yeah, all until the last like, couple episodes, and yeah. it was just you know. Then then we got frustrated, and we're like, my wife and I were just we rewatched uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, just to they, they didn't screw up that ending, so <laughs> we had to rewatch that whole thing. So um, we kind awesome. of got we were just starting to get into Righteous Gemstone since it's uh, filmed oh, here in yeah. Charleston. So I've not seen. I've it only yet. seen a couple episodes, but it's pretty funny so far. And since it's kind of got a little local flavor, yeah, I think we're gonna keep watching. Man, that, anytime so. anything's local, I want to watch yeah, it, yeah, except yeah. for the uh, whatever the Southern Charm. Oh yeah, yeah, I chose yeah. not to watch that <laughs> yeah, one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I I haven't quite gotten into. No that. offense to those out there watching it all. <laughs> I think more people outside Charleston maybe watch. Yeah, for sure. Anything? Uh, I started rewatching all the NCIS episodes. Oh, yeah. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't tell me that. (laughs) I tried to get her to Game of Thrones, but then once I told her the ending, I started. She stopped. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then he told me it wasn't worth it, so I switched over to something else. Yeah. The first six and a half seasons were great. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it was all so good, but at that point I was so invested emotionally that uh, it was tough to swallow. Yeah. Um, So. What about, um, you know, obviously you're listening to the Healthy Charleston podcast like everybody else, but what, uh, do you have a favorite podcast in mind? Uh, I don't know, my wife's kind of, I can't remember the name of it, the Happy Podcast or Happy, uh, my wife started, she made me listen to it back and forth to Asheville this past week or so, it's just about happiness podcast, yeah. and, and what, what does happiness mean, it's run by a Yale researcher, um, which is kind of interesting. She she's she's really the one into podcasts in our family, and uh, I thought it was I thought it was pretty interesting about you know how we define happiness and what actually makes people happy. Whether it's you know, and some of it was she was trying to talk to me because we have you know a daughter who's intelligent, gets great grades, but do good grades make us happy? Right, exactly. And, you know, is that what we should be striving for? And it, it was quite interesting that. You know, maybe it's not. Maybe that's just the <laughs> carrot, and uh, we really should be changing the way we focus on things instead of, you know, striving to get the next grade or the next test. Um, yeah. Maybe we should be focusing on other things like curiosity and doing the things that you enjoy. Right. So, it's absolutely, it's absolutely worth the yeah. discussion. That's yeah. So sure. she forced me to listen to, it and I was like, "That's actually quite a good <laughs> listen." Um, so we, it, it it started a good chat between the two of us, and. And then my daughter's in the back listening on her headphones, not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Sounds like I should start listening yeah. to that. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a good, um, I think leaving PA school, I definitely listened to a lot of more medical-based yeah. things. Yeah. Like I used some podcasts a lot to adjunct to my studying as I was driving to and from rotations. So I think that that's now changed into some of the other good and bad parts of, of medicine. Some, you know, listening to people's stories batched and some different things of 
what's happening and good and bad and trying to take that in and decipher it and make sure that my practice and our practice right. is on, <laughs> on a good angle. I listen to, I mean, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't business related or physical therapy related. Yeah. Like it's either about business or about strength and conditioning. I mean, I do listen to Joe Rogan quite a bit, but that's almost just like if I know I'm driving, I'm not really paying attention. I listen yeah. to it. My wife, though, has got me listening to, um, man, what is it? Is it My Favorite Murder or something like that? So true crime related so stuff. My wife's also listening to some true crime <laughs> ones, too. Yeah. And she's really been big into that. And then I think she had to take a break, and that's when she got into this happiness podcast. Yeah. Um, but they're she super was, Right, right. Yeah. She was driving around with the kids. And she's like, maybe <laughs> I shouldn't be listening to this murder mystery with the kids in the car. Um, so let's go to happiness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. For sure. Definitely some good podcasts out there. What about uh, if you had one word, like one favorite word, what is it? Favorite word. Oh, man. Favorite word. Trying to think of what I say all the time. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's so funny. Probably two words: common sense. There it is. I like yeah. it. Common sense works yeah, well. You just have to have. Com- it has to, or make sense. It just has to make sense. Yeah. I hate doing things that just don't make sense over right. and over. Don't again. add up. Right? right. Like, have to. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> what um, did you guys have like growing up or even now a favorite cartoon? Ooh, growing up. Or favorite cartoon character? However you want. I was to a Scooby Doo fan. Yeah, when I was right, real little. Yeah. I mean, so growing up, I mean, because my son is it's kind of going, you know, full circle with my son who's just binge watched all of the Simpsons <laughs> episodes. So talking about binge watching. So once Disney Plus came out um, and all the Simpson episodes, that came out what November and. He has watched all 30 seasons oh, of wow. The Simpsons since November, which That's is crazy. crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to get him into other cartoons. And I remember like going like DuckTales and G.I. Yeah. Joe and all those other little I mean, That's probably more the speed I'd want him watching instead of maybe The Simpsons. But uh, he, <laughs> he seems to get a kick out of it. So Yeah, I used to love the DuckTales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not quite into it. I can't. I think after watching all The Simpsons, that's a little too tame for him. So. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, The Simpsons, yeah, for sure. A little bit different Luckily, he doesn't get all the jokes, but um, yeah. he, he definitely... Uh, the graphics are still bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like They haven't really improved at all. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I think he thinks our family's The Simpsons, too. So, um, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. My mom is Marge. And, uh, <laughs> Grandma Marge. He's got a sister, Lisa. Well, my sister's name is Lisa, too. So, oh, that's uh, awesome. so I think he thinks it's our, our family. So he, it's he gets a kick out of it. So <laughs> Scooby Doo is say, like I'm right in line with NCIS. So yeah, it's like right in uh, right in line. Um, I don't know if they take the mask off at the end, and it's really Mister So and So. I'll have to write in. You have to make a few more episodes. <laughs> so if you um, had like, let's say we're fighting in the UFC. Um, there was a big UFC fight on Saturday, and one of them was the two of you. What's the walkout song that you're going to use? To get people pumped up. Uh, I already have talked about my You have. And my baseball walkout song was Walk by Pantera. So, yeah, okay. Uh, it'd be something like that or something by Metallica, like one or Pantera, something like that. Yeah. Going back in the back in the day. It. So it's good gym music. Hers would be something country. Oh no, I'm trying to think of what would be the most appropriate, um, as much as Dr. Haro makes fun of me for listening to country <laughs> hey, music. Country, I feel like it country would be pumps to be... people up, not me. Mine would sound yeah. like my... <laughs> something, something a little bit on the country rock side of life, maybe. Mine would just be much more aggressive. <laughs> I'm going to use my wits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, do you have one? No, I'll come back to you. What about a favorite? Do you have a favorite uh, a country favorite. song? I, I mean, I have a favorite country artist. Anything yeah. by Garth Brooks makes oh, me happy. Oh, yeah. That's, I, think that, um, yeah. I grew up listening to him, so. Transcends all music. Yeah, yeah, give me Thunder yeah. Rolls. That could be a decent walk-up song. Yeah. <laughs> Except for my walk would just dominate over it, so. Yeah. The last podcast we had was Silence. And I was like, okay. I mean, but I guess this could be somewhat so, intimidating if it was just... Dead silence. Dead silence. Yeah, walking up. Yeah, I guess that's true. I just we have OR. I have OR playlist that I play because I play music yeah. in the OR, and so I have to depending on who who's in the room with us, I have to put on different playlists. But there's some heavier ones that uh, Nicole's probably not as much a fan of. So <laughs> that's um, the OR playlist is yeah. probably a good transition into asking. So for those listening out there, who's kind of like the ideal client slash patient customer, you know, obviously you do surgeries, you do different kinds, you're an orthopedist, but is there a, um, a desired type of surgery that you like to do? Is there a desired patient or who you think might be listening that should come see you? Or Yeah. I mean, I pretty much am happy to see anybody for the most part. And like I said, I don't, I don't do every surgery. Like I don't do like hip replacements. Um, but I'm more than happy to help people who are looking to avoid surgery because, again, that has been such a big part of my past. Um, but my surgical patients, I mean, I, I pretty much do anything in the knee other than just complete knee replacements and then anything in the shoulder, um, whether it's, you know, the weekend warrior, whether it's a 12-year-old baseball player, whether it's um, someone who's 75 and active and just wants to play golf um, mm-hmm. and maybe has a rotator cuff tear. If you ask me what my favorite cases are... <laughs> Probably ACL reconstructions or revision ACL reconstructions and kind of complex knee ligament injuries, yeah. like knee dislocations. Um, but I do some other more interesting kind of weird stuff. I do cartilage transplants right. or, you know, some things that other people may not do around the area. And that's and some of that's kind of where I did my training by intention. Um, you know, I, I kind of went to certain places to learn some of these special cartilage restoration or transplantation techniques. and. You know, the hard part is I a lot of times we'll get people in and I'll make them better without surgery and we don't right. have, we don't always have to do those um but that's that's probably one of the more fun things that I do is yeah. get big cartilage training a little bit more rare maybe for yeah. you so that's right. definitely I mean, more of a challenge as well we, we do them with some frequency but again like I said most of the time we can get people better without it even yeah. if they have a cartilage defect that's the biggest thing is you get an MRI and people see a, yeah, see a, a pothole in their cartilage and all of a sudden they need to fill that pothole and you know but the question is, is that what's causing their pain? Mm-hmm. And so we get that sent over a lot. And, you know, it's fun to even get those people back without surgery. And if it doesn't work, we have options, but it's just their big options. Right. So um, I would say that's kind of one of my more ideal patients. Yeah. So. Does that kind of fit fit in line, I guess? Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, I <laughs> chose to work with him for, for multiple different reasons, but his interests and patient population and what he does aligned a lot with my background and kind of where I was hoping my career would go. So yeah, for sure. That's yeah. great. I'd say most of our patients are fairly active or want to be fairly active. And yeah. usually these things are keeping them from doing again what they want to do. And so that's how we've been able to kind of tailor our practices again, yeah. patient centered, like goal oriented. Right. Uh, we find those to be the most, I mean, because our practice is much the same and we work with a ton of people that they don't have to be athletes per se, right. but like they want an active lifestyle. Right. So whether that means walking the dog or whatever, and that typically means then that they're willing to do what right. it takes to 
get better as opposed to just right. being in pain and wanting somebody to fix it for me. Right. Um, they've got something that they're missing out on today and right. they, they want to no longer miss out on it. And we see a lot of that, people who just have pain that are coming in, but then you just that's when we kind of sit down and try and pull it out of them. Like, well, what is that pain doing to yeah. you? What is that pain keeping you from doing? Is it just sleeping? Right. Is it, you know you know, being able to work so you can put food on, you know, food yeah. on the table right, or is right. it, again, you can't go golfing with your friends and that was your your social interaction with people. So, uh, again, I think teasing that out of people is probably the most important thing we do. And and our, that's why going back to the other questions, our follow visits are much shorter because we've already learned a lot about patients at that yeah. point. And, you know, we still spend a fair amount of time with them if they need to, but we already, we're on the same page and it's about are we meeting our goals and mm-hmm. are we meeting your goals? And, yeah. uh so I think that's a huge part of our practice. Absolutely. So that being said, how do people find the two of you? Like how do they, you know, they're listening to this. What's the best way to get in contact or even follow you on uh, social media or any kind yeah. of contact? I mean, we, we luckily have a brand new website um, we have, with a couple different addresses. You know, it's at Southeastern Orthopedic Institute or southeasternorthopedic.com. Is, we'll take you to the Southeastern uh, Spine Institute website where we're kind of part of that yeah. or just markharomd.com will take you to our, our webpage which Perfect. you know you can easily get in and see us and we're always trying to get people in as soon or whatever whatever works for people we usually try and get them in we're right now in the office you know every day essentially unless we're operating all day and uh, happy to see people and get them in as soon as possible perfect well I will make sure that we uh, link that information to the uh to the actual podcast itself. Nicole, did you have any other contact uh, information or is it just those websites? And That's probably the, the easiest. Yeah. Um, Call 843-654-8868. Yep. There's another number too. Um, so, and I think that, that'll directly get you to our schedulers. Our yeah. schedulers. Um, and uh, we, again, like I said, they, they know to be looking. We're, we're, again, we're part of the Southeastern Spine Institute. We're, you know, Southeastern Spine has been, you know, well known in the Charleston and South Carolina area for being highly specialized in spine yeah. care for a long time. And I think the goal is to build an orthopedic institute similarly, like, focused on orthopedic issues. I just have to be the first one coming in and kind of, it's fun because I can help kind of grow and develop this. So right now it's me, but we'll, we'll be growing, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I know in terms of uh, Made to Move and everything else that uh, we we happy to have the, the team at uh, the Southeastern Orthopedics there up and running, and, and you guys specifically with the background in athletic training and physical therapy. So I uh, appreciate you all being on the podcast today, and sure. uh, I'll make sure I get that contact information out there, and, uh, you know, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks Great, for having thanks us. Thanks so Thank much. You. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the Healthy Charleston podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram, search Healthy Charleston, one word, like, follow, comment on today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, if you have possible guests that you want us to bring on, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, Reach out there, send us a direct message. We would love some feedback. Also, if you get any extra time, head over to iTunes, give us a rating. Again, put comments there. We love your feedback. 